That was good. I'm not sure if you experienced that or not. You know, there, there are times you're, you're just worship. I mean, it's easy. Times of prayer, we talked about with yesterday, what we did yesterday, you're just going to get caught up in it. It seems like it's over too soon. Not, not, not ready yet. Maybe, maybe you are. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. You know, we're spending, a, spending nine weeks here in this study called Gospel-Centered Life. It's a reflection of, uh, it's a challenge maybe, of how everything that we are as Christians, everything that we do, everything that we proclaim or confess or profess, is wrapped in the gospel. It's, it's intertwined with the gospel. There's something about this gospel that we've received in Jesus that, that, that forces its way into the nooks and crannies of our lives. Challenges us to step out and do things that we never thought we would do. You know, causes, compels us to go and go places we would never go. So this is only the second week, and I, I'm not sure, uh, for those of you who are here and who are in a study, I'm not sure... Um, what your experiences were with family groups this week, but did anybody have anything they wanted to share? I'm going to ask this every week, by the way, so I would ask that while you're in family groups, if something happens that you're like, wow, this is really cool, take note of it, and I'll ask every week if there's something you want to share. I would love to hear it, what's happening. I get to hear, like, individually, but I think it's good if we hear together, too, what's happening. So, do anyone have, have anything they want to share about this week's study before we get into it? Yeah, Corey. Yeah, just getting to know folks and hear their stories and get out of this context of Sunday morning only where like, I, I know you, but I don't know you, right? Yeah. Matter of fact, we didn't talk about it too much, but our, the intent a little bit was to challenge folks to pick a group you're not normally in because we have a tendency to always take the easiest path, pick the people we know the best or our favorite friends or whatever, and, and we're not exactly saying that's wrong. But it's probably not going to be as much of a blessing or a growing season for you if you continually choose to do that in your life. You continually, it's important to have long-term relationships, but to stretch and to grow, a great way to do it is to say, what group do I know the least? And join that group instead. It's uncomfortable. It's not our natural uh, habit, but it's a blessing to do that. Who else has something they want to share? Anybody? I don't even know statistically how many who are here this morning are in a study, so I couldn't even tell you who has seen this material and who hasn't seen it. We're going to go through it together a little bit, sort of, kind of, talk about the gist of the week, but then talk about the, the scriptures behind, or some scriptures, I should say, behind the thoughts that were included in this week's material. I pray that it'll be a blessing to you as you open your mind to the word this morning, that God would use it to speak into your life. So we've been spending a few, now here's the second question, and I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to ask you this question every week too, right? Uh, for maybe for the first three at least. So next week for sure, and we'll see how it goes after that. Here's the question. What is the gospel? This isn't a trick question. What is it? It's a simple question. What's the gospel? The good news, yeah. Specifically what? Yes, Jesus died and rose again for us, right? Right. Who can tell me where we can find the gospel articulated in Scripture? Here's the hint. If you were here last week, we talked about it. 
Anybody know? It's okay. I, I didn't either. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to answer this question for us. What is the gospel? I'm going to ask you to turn there again today. It's the same exact text with that last week. I, I just want us to get, you know, to clearly see an articulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think what's happened in so much of our lives is it's all become kind of muddy and fuzzy. People say, do you know Jesus? Oh, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Do you know the gospel? Oh, yeah, I know the gospel. But I'm not sure that we're all talking about the same things. And, and so folks will, will confess Christianity. They'll confess to know Christ. They'll confess him as Savior. But I, I want to just kind of spend some time in the Word here. 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul writes out in explicit. This is important because Paul was the foremost teacher of the early church. He was traveling from town to town proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And it's confirmed when he went to talk to Peter at Jerusalem, who is kind of the rock, as Jesus called him. He said, this is the gospel I've been proclaiming, and Peter confirms this gospel. So this is the gospel that they claim, that we know, and that we claim ourselves. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, Paul says, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, right? By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, now listen to what he says, you believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And that he then appeared to the Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And then, last of all, to me as one who is abnormally born. We talked about this exact scripture last week, but what I want to spend a little bit of time on today is the idea from this text, we can, we can read stuff into it. What, who does it say died for our sins? Who does it say? Yeah, right. We can read in stuff. And, and I want to make a point today of saying that Christ... This is Christos. This is the anointed one is the one who died for our sins. This isn't Jesus from, you know, down the street. This is Jesus anointed. This is Paul confessing that he is the one that God revealed himself through. That Jesus was not an ordinary man, but Christos. Look at what it says. It says it repeatedly here in verse 3. It says, for Christ died according to the scriptures... And he was buried and raised according to the scriptures. You see, he's making a case to say that this Jesus isn't just some guy that we all loved who died for us. This is the one who was anointed by God. This is the one who was raised by the anointing of God. This is the one that the prophets have testified for thousands of years about. He came, he lived, he died. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I just want you to understand the gravity of it because I think this is lost its meaning to us. Jesus' last name isn't Christ, right? I mean, we know that. It's an adjective that describes a truth of his being. He was anointed. He is God. Paul's confession here is about God, Christ, dying for our sins according to the scriptures. And so I just want to make that case because I, I, I do want to spend a second here saying that 
a, a bunch of people will verbally agree that they're Christians. Yeah, my whole family is Christian. I was born Christian. Really? Really? You were born anointed? Were you born anointed? You know that's what it means. It means Christ anointing. It means, it means to be anointed by God. It means to have the Spirit upon you. It means when you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you that proclaims the gospel of the eternal God, the good news. Too many of us, it's a label, it's a sticker. It's a, a brand of clothes that we'll buy or, or it, you know what I mean? Like everything else, you know, American Eagle, Levi, Christian. No. It means the very anointing of God is on you. It means it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. You are God's child now. You've been anointed by the King of Kings who died for our sins. And Paul confesses it here and he says that this Jesus, this one that appeared to me as one who's abnormally born, is the Christ. This is going to be a big deal in today's um, scripture, in today's study. But I wanted to start there just to say that Jesus, the Christ, the anointed, is the gospel. The gospel is a big deal, not because he lived, I mean, there's been a lot of people who've lived right lives, according to men. A lot of people who've kind of stayed on the narrow path and then been persecuted. They don't bring you salvation. They don't bring you peace with God. Christ does. And Christ alone. So that's what I, I kind of want to start with today, was just the idea that this, this confession of the gospel is always about Jesus as God. I, I can tell you that I've stood with people and they've said, yeah, yeah, I get the, I know the gospel, but they don't understand that Jesus is God, and that means they don't understand the gospel. Do you know what I'm saying? If they don't understand that Jesus is God, if you don't understand that Jesus is God, they don't understand the gospel, you don't understand the gospel. It's bigger. It's bigger. It's good news because God may write his demand for justice in himself. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of the sacrifices for all of the sins were paid on the cross at Calvary by our Lord. And that becomes this indwelling, this welling up of worship, this passionate calling out to the one who saved us. This is why we get caught up in it. That's why it means so much to us. So today's we're going to talk about maybe ways that we minimize that part of the gospel. Um, ways that we shrink the cross is actually what we're going to talk about today. You know, shrinking the cross of, of Christ. We talked last week about, about how it covers everything. The gospel is the good news, not of the past, but of the future going forward. And today we're going to talk about ways that we minimize the gospel. We make it tiny, 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 tiny. Not big enough for any real world needs. I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we begin the study. Uh, Father God, today we thank you that we're in your house, gathered in your name. We come here not to hear from uh, um, the wisdom of men. We come to hear from your wisdom from your word. We pray today, Lord, that your spirit would dwell here richly, that it would dwell in each of our hearts individually and in our community together, that you would be present, that your, your will would be made known today. And Father, today in every way, I pray that you would um, prepare broken lips to proclaim truth, that you would convict us of the sin that we need to get out of our lives, Father God, 
and that you would call us forward into the land that you've promised to us. Today, Father, have your way and do your will. We are here laid bare before you as sinners who are hopelessly lost without Jesus. Today, we pray you would dwell with us, teach us, and grow us. We pray these things in the highest name. Amen. So we're going to spend some time, but I, I, I want to talk about what we talked about a little bit last week, too. So this is week two here. Let me see if I can push this forward. Okay. Now, these the screens are even probably worse than what we had last week, but maybe you can see it, right? Um, I can explain it anyway. There's this kind of idea that we're rolling along through life, and life's going pretty well. And we have this point as Christians, and if you've known a Christian, even if you're not one this morning, there's this point to talk about which conversion, you know? I met the Lord. I saw the light right? And this is the point that we meet Jesus and we, and we believe that's our testimony. This is what Paul says is one who's abnormally born. He's knocked off of his horse by this living God who says, why do you persecute me? This is an experience that, that I've had and I don't know if you've had it, but it's rebuking of the eternal God and it's the best news you'll ever get. But at this point in our lives, we begin to see things kind of diverge in two different directions. We begin to realize our own sinfulness and realize God's holiness. And these are things that we're completely completely unaware of before, completely oblivious to before, God's righteousness and our fallenness. You know, one of the things that, that um, was so hard when we were out yesterday was that, that people were screaming Bible uh, passages to folks who didn't believe. They don't have any understanding of God's righteousness or his demands for righteousness. And, and therefore, I'm convinced that whenever, you know, we, we see this chasm, we see this gap that we can't cover, and we always need Jesus for it, but others don't. They're still on this line back here before the cross, and they have no clue that righteousness is demanded or that they're in sin. There's absolutely no, no belief in that at all, and I can only say that because I was there. I thought I was fine. I was doing great. And if you'd asked me, I'd tell you that. So we begin to understand as we go along, we have an awareness that this top line here is God's holiness, and it seems to go up and up and up forever. And this bottom line here is our sinfulness, and it seems to go down and down and down forever. And so you have this realization that the good news sounds like bad news because, man, I'm so broken, I'm so flawed, I'm so failed, I can't ever get there. And you can kind of get lost in that. Even as a believer, one who knows Jesus, you can totally just get stuck there. But last week we talked about how we don't do that, that we look forward to the growing of the gospel, that we don't look back but forward to how the cross continues to cover the gap. The more I realize my sinfulness, the more I know I need Jesus, the more he covers the gap for me in my life. The more holy I understand he is, the more I know I can't get there from here, the more I need Jesus in my life. The gospel isn't for the lost, it's for sinners. And I'm one of them. All of us are. And it grows on. Today I want to talk, though, about looking back to this point right here. Because I think that to, we've bought into this thing where we look back and we, I said it last week, we tell all these old stories of our conversion and they're great stories. But you know, I'm starting to get more and more excited about not the salvation that God brought yesterday, but the salvation that God's going to bring tomorrow. I don't know where you're at in your life, but I long for Jesus' salvation tomorrow. Not in the past, like a knick-knack on a shelf, you know. We look back, 
And if we carry this forward, and this is kind of the focus of this week's, you know, lesson, if, if we carry this tiny, you know, we knew we needed God. I mean, he convicted us by his spirit. We didn't know what it even meant when we confessed Christ. Maybe you came forward at a meeting or maybe you just were in your house by yourself and got convicted under the word, but you've given your life to Jesus. Maybe you were a little bitty person and you gave your life to Christ and you had no idea what you were talking about, but God did. And then you take that little cross, you take that little understanding, and you carry it forward into the big crazy life that is being a Christian, and it never adds up. It never makes it. And so this is what most of us do, I'm convinced. This is what most of us do. We just kind of keep going with the same idea. And, and then the problem is that we start to realize that the cross doesn't cover it. I... I told you this before, there was a time when I was a brand new believer. I mean, a brand new believer, and I, I was a non-believer for a long time. So it was a big deal. I was kind of terrified of anybody challenging my faith at that point. I prayed against it every day. I said, Lord, don't let anybody come into my life that's going to challenge my faith. Don't let anybody come before me, Lord. It's going to make me stumble again because I found you and I don't want to lose you. I'm going to put you away. You're going to be safe. It's going to be okay. And you know what? God had somebody come and just absolutely say, is Jesus enough? You know what they said? I used to think Jesus was enough, too. I actually was saved at a Baptist church, too. But you know, when I grew up, I realized that Jesus isn't enough. There's extra righteousness required. And this person began to, to teach me, to tell me a, a belief in salvation that was works-based, that was merited, that was earned. And it put me in a tailspin. And I couldn't know, I, what do we do? And I went and I kind of lamented with God. I said, why do you bring this person to my life? You know I'm weak and I'm fragile. And God says, I'm not. I'm not. And it took me three weeks to realize that Jesus is enough. He's enough. For whatever it is in your life you're going through, Jesus is enough. But the problem is, as Christians, we carry this little cross, we don't have a right understanding, and therefore we end up with these gaps that we try to fill. And this isn't about other people. I hope I'm talking to you this morning, to you who came here today to hear the word, that these gaps that we have, there's one, see the spaces? We start to make stuff up because we're carrying this little cross this little understanding of the gospel, and we start to just kind of fill in the gaps. We start to fill them in. What we end up doing with this gospel is saying it's not enough. And people know it. I mean, people know when they talk to you. Why do you believe? Give a reason for what you believe. Well, you know, back in 1982... I had an experience. They know that's not enough. It's not enough. So we proclaim a gospel that's inadequate. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's adequate for all things, for all times, for all people. Thousands of years later, the gospel is still enough. It'll be enough to eternity. The gospel will. Well, the materialists, we talked about two different things. We're talking about the first up top here right away. And then we're going to look at what the Word has to say about it. But I want to encourage you to not look back and look forward to the gospel of Jesus, right, as we do this together. But this top up here, what we have a tendency to do in that gap between where we perceive the top of the cross to be and God's holiness, we've, we have a tendency to try to perform up there. We try to perform to, to make it better, to do more, to be more. You know what I mean? If you would just show up and volunteer some more time at the local food pantry, 
then God would love you more. If you would come to load in on Sunday mornings, God would really love you more. <laughs> oh, I would love you more. You know, God, God loves you the same. If you would get out of bed and come and fill one of these empty chairs today, God would love you more. If you could find enough right things to do in your life, if you could take the cross plus all this good works, all these things, then you can fill this holiness gap that just seems insurmountable. And so we perform, we perform, we chase, we chase, we pursue, we pursue. And we get on this treadmill of Christianity and we keep going, I can run faster, I can run faster. And you're pushing that button up. Have you had the experience at the rec center? Has anybody done that? The person next to you is running faster than you are. And so you're like, oh, I can go faster than you. And you keep pushing it and all of a sudden you're like, and you look like a total lunatic. I look like a total lunatic because I don't know when to stop. It's not about it's not about that. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses. We're going to be going backwards this morning. It's on 8.15 if you use one of our Bibles. We've got to find it in mine here. Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul and he's writing to the church in Philippi. Verses 7 through 9. And I'm just going to, we're just going to think through this text a little bit here. Because Paul is the one who's been writing about this good news. Paul's the one that's been saying that, that you know, uh, you need Jesus in your life. We confess that today, that you need Jesus in your life. And this is what Paul says about the performance gap at the top here. You know what I mean? We'll go back to looking at that. This is what he's saying about that area up top where we're trying to perform to get God's righteousness. We're trying to reach for the stars. There's no end in sight. God will be glorified through our doing. This is what Paul says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Right? I mean, Paul says, there's this idea that I used to try to perform everything. You know, there's a, there's a place in Scripture where he says, I was the foremost Pharisee. I was the holiest man in the land. If you had looked at me on the street, you would have said, he's holy. He's the one we should be like. And Paul says this about all his holiness. He says, whatever was to my profit, whatever I had thought I had earned, I now count as a loss. He's actually saying the more we try to earn God's favor, the more we try to do for God's glory, we're actually causing him to be less glorified. It seems counterintuitive, right? Whatever I consider a prophet, I now consider lost. Why? For the sake of Christ. Here it is, the anointing, the anointed one, Jesus, Son of God. What is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. You know, I don't think many of us can confess that in our lives. I think we confess that we consider everything else not maybe better than knowing Christ. I don't think many of us actually confess that knowing Jesus makes everything else completely worthless. Everything else, he says, is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. 
You'll see there's three things there. The anointed one, the anointing of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus, the man that came and dwelt among us to show us righteousness, to live rightly and die for our sins, and then the lordship over Paul. And he says, there's no greater thing than being under the command of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, being found in him. Now listen to what it says next here, because this is something, and I think most pastors love to preach it. I'm going to just skate around it a little bit, because it's so tempting. <laughs> this is what it says, though. He says, uh, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. The word rubbish there actually means excrement. It means everything else is filth. I don't know if you've seen something that has become worthless to you, filthy to you. We were out in Colorado at a, at a camp out there and a kid had gone into the porta potty and dropped a t-shirt in the bottom. It was brand new. They just been all, you know, they just got this thing. It's brand new. And we're in there and we're looking. Huh? Who wants this job? And we're looking down with a flashlight and we're like, oh yeah, there it is. And you know, nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to get it. It went from brand new to worthless, nasty, disgusting. And Paul says, I count everything as complete garbage, as complete refuse, as complete, just utterly gross, disgusting, that I might, what, gain the righteousness that is not of my own, but come, that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. There's this righteousness that covers it. And the more we try to perform the righteous work, the more we try to do what God has done for us, the less we allow glory to show, his glory to show in our lives. Does that make sense? This is hard because we want to say like, yeah, man, we need you to be in Bible study. We need you to be doing, doing and seeking. And I agree. It's the work of discipleship to do it. But the more we think that's getting us righteousness with God, the more we lie to ourselves and say we're better now than we were before, we're diminishing the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want the one that comes right from him. I don't want another righteousness. I don't want to make something else up or have my own way. I'll take God's, God's righteousness found in him. So there's the first thing. So this idea against performing, and I hope that we can do this in our own lives, that, that, you know, you would challenge yourself, that if you find yourself thinking, boy, I am better now. Because you know what this turns into? This turns into judgmentalism. Oh, I was there, where were you? I did it, why couldn't you? And look at me go. Look at how I dress. Look at how I walk. Look how I live. Look at how my kids are. Look at how great we are. And I begin to judge the rest of the world, the rest of the world that Jesus, the one who died for me, died for. We're all on the same playing field. We're all saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, don't depend on your works, not even a little bit. Just pull it out of your life. And lean hard on the cross of Christ. Cling to the cross of Christ. The, the, the second part here below, this area below we have a tendency to fill in, uh, this sinfulness, this, this, you know, we understand it about ourselves. In the quiet times, prayer closets are great for this because you know you, you aren't good enough. You know you aren't good enough, right? And the bottom here is filled in with pretending, right? It's filled in with like, I'm not really that bad. You're not that bad either. 
I've told you before, I've had friends try to talk me out of my need for the gospel. You were never a bad guy. You were fine. Right? I wasn't. I'm not. You know, um, there's this thing that was before my time. It's this kind of uh, thing that swept the nation called, I'm okay, you're okay. Right? I mean, it sold thousands of books, millions of books maybe even, and it launched whole sections of self-help, and, and they're still going on today. Con- people trying to convince themselves that we're fine. I'm okay, you're okay. It kind of reminds me of what we do now. We say, you know, live and let live, you know. You choose your truth and I'll choose mine. We're okay. We're all going to make it. It's going to be fine. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy. This idea of that we're going to um, pretend our way to righteousness. 1 Timothy, we're going to go with um, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, 822, if you're following one, one of our Bibles. 1 Timothy says this. This is going to be a rebuke again against that same thought, that same idea, right? 15. Paul here is writing to Timothy. Timothy is someone that Paul describes as my son in the gospel, my son in the faith, right? He has given birth to the spiritual awakening in Timothy, and this is what he says to him, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of all sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. I don't know how you read that. I've heard it a a whole bunch of times, lots of times, right? Um, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But I think most of us kind of say it like that flippantly. Paul understood this, that there was nothing right in him the opposite of what he was performing before, trying to get his own righteousness, he's like, kind of rubbish now. He understood the pit he was in. He understood it all through his ministry. Here he is, he's a senior, he's been sharing the gospel. If anyone has a right to be proud, if anyone has a right to, to minimize their own sinfulness, Paul has the right to do it. And here he says, Timothy, my son, my child, the one I love, the one who's coming up in the faith, listen to what I'm gonna tell you. He came to save the sinners I am the worst one you'll find. I don't know how many leaders you have in your life that lead that way. I don't know how many leaders that we can find in our lives that don't pretend to be okay. They come from a true place of humility to say, man, I'm the worst. The righteousness I have doesn't come from me, but from God. He came to save sinners, of which I am the worst, Paul says. I want you to notice, too, that he again here cites Christos, the anointed Jesus, the Jesus that came who was anointed by God to save the world, to save sinners of whom I am the worst to be found. But listen what it says in verse 16. I want you to go with me mentally here. It says, but for that very reason, for what? For the reason of my complete and utter depravity, my hopelessness, my lostness, for that very reason, the worst of sinners, for that very reason, mercy I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. Do you ever feel like you're displaying God's unlimited patience to those around you? 
I mean, do you ever feel like they just kind of cut your feet off money? They go, man, you're, you're really bad at that. You're, you're really a mess. And you just kind of own it. You go, yeah, I am. I mean, I'm not saying you're proud of being a mess. I'm saying that God's glorified because if he's working in a mess like you, he can work with anybody. Do you know what I mean? There becomes a truth of the confession that Paul's saying that for the very reason I was shown mercy, that those who need the grace the most, that God shows it to them so that he gets the glory, so he might display his unlimited patience in us. And the counter of that is that every time we pretend in life, every time we go like, I'm cool, you're cool. I'm okay, you're okay. We talk about the F word, fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And we're not real with each other right? We're not being genuine with each other. Every time we actually diminish the sovereignty and the beauty of God, he can't be glorified in people who are faking it. Paul says, I'm the worst, Timothy. That should be our confession. Not like in a fake way, in a real way. Admit it. I'm not saying think worse of yourself than you ought, but just admit the areas of failure. Someone calls you out, man, you're a disaster, and you just go, yeah, I am, and I, and I pray that God is growing me through that. He's covering that gap for me. He's making righteousness where there is none. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that he might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who would believe and then receive eternal life. Your very realness, your very authenticity, your very willingness to stand in that gap that Paul stood in and say, man, I'm the worst, is an offering of salvation for those who are lost. It's offering of hope for those who have none. So instead of thinking, I'm okay, you're okay, we should think, I'm not okay, you're not okay. So let's be honest. If we ask each other, how are you doing? Let's be honest. It's worth a try. See, looking back on this idea of shrinking the cross, we, uh, we end up with these two things, pretending and performing, performing and pretending, and these can become a detriment to our walk with Christ. These can be the things that will undo all the good things that God's been doing in and through you. And, and you know, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. I'm saying that God made promises. He will fulfill it. But I'm saying you're stuck. You're stuck in this broken place, and people around you know it and you're faking it, and you're performing your way through it, and it's not of God, and it's not glorifying to God. And we shouldn't live there. One of the ways that we do this, I believe, is that we tell people the lie. When you believe in Jesus, everything is perfect. Everything's fine now. You believe in Jesus. And it gets interpreted in that way exactly. So that that person who's come to Christ, who's reached out, like the person who needed to touch the fringes of Jesus' cloak to be healed, to stop the bleeding, the person who clung to the cross in that moment of crisis, picks themselves up and dusts themselves off and looks around a bunch of fake Christians and says, I have to be perfect now, and they know they can't. And they believe the gospel is that now they have to be perfect. That's not the gospel. That's a lie. The truth is this, that everything is being perfected in Jesus Christ. That means even after the cross, you can be honest. And God is working in you and through you to bring his glory to the world, not yours. 
Everything is being made perfect. Now that Jesus saved me, or now that Jesus is saving us. So I have a simple question this morning, and it's a challenge to you and to me. I've been dwelling on it all week. I pray you'll dwell on it in this week. If you're in a family group, you're going to move on to the next, the next lesson. That's okay. But when you come together, think about these things. And the question is this. How have you shrunk the cross of Christ in your life? Have you made it some little trinket that you can hang on your neck or put in your pocket, keep it on your shelf at home? How have we done that in our lives? And the second question is like it. How have we made Jesus less than he really is? Let's pray together. Father, today we come before you as um, sinners confessing our brokenness, confessing our need for you, uh, confessing that we've made you less. Your word says that, that we must decrease, that you might increase. Our desire is not for ourselves, but for you to be made known, for your righteousness, for your holiness, for your salvation to the world. So today, Lord, in every way, I pray your spirit would work for your glory, that you would have your way in our lives, that you would challenge us and chastise us and encourage us and grow us and do your will. We give you glory and praise for the great gospel that we've heard, for the great gospel that's ahead of us. We long to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done. Give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.